you know, oh, holy night, holiness in the Old Testament, holiness in scripture is not oh, holy, it's oh, holy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. My name is Derek Rishmaui, and I'm joined by the cast and crew, uh, Andrew Wilson and Alistair Roberts, more of a more of a UK imbalance tilt this time. Um, and we're excited what, what to talk that today. That is not imbalance. That is bring, providing balance to the force. <laughs> given, given, I suppose, yes, given, given your... Your absence on so many other episodes. This is this is starting to even out, starting to even out the mere fidelity uh, balance in, in that sense. Um, anyways, with that said, uh, we are turning our attention this week to a special theme: the, the theme of Advent, and uh, not just Advent in general, but um, thinking about preaching in Advent. Uh, by the time most of you listen to this, if you, eh, you know the, the Advent sermons may or may not be done. But we still wanted to just think through some of these texts and, and in a sense, well, Andrew, you've got the question. I just thought it would be interesting to see, like, if you, with, that, with no preparation, once or twice we've done good episodes where there have been no preparation and they're fun because you catch Alistair on the hop, if nothing else. And I thought it'd be quite fun to ask the question, uh, if you had to choose one text of scripture to preach an Advent sermon from, which one would it be and why? So what's the best Advent text in the Bible that, you know, and, and then to bring them into dialogue with each other and to sort of see where they overlap and what light they shed, they shed on it. So I think that should, there you go, that's the question. And I guess two of us at least are likely to be doing Advent sermons in some form, whether or not we would have chosen the, the text that we, that we have. Um, are you preaching Advent, Alistair? I, I, I'm sort of assuming you're not, but um, I could be wrong about no that. No plans at the moment. No. <laughs> it always comes in the ring. So. <laughs> but but I've, so I've done two change. or three, and Derek will be doing one. So I just thought it'd be quite interesting to just sort of see if you could pick any one, what would you do and why? Well, with that, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and uh, lead us in and, and what, what would you preach? Well, I I haven't. No, I haven't. This is a passage I have preached, and I didn't preach it as an Advent text. But I um, – so – I'm thinking I would go for Revelation 12, which is a real, a bit of a curveball of a text. Yes. Um, but I, I want oh, to, but good. I just thought it'd be interesting to explore why, because I think that one of the things that you find, one of the things that's difficult, and I, as I've been speaking, I've been reading Fleming Rutledge's book through Advent, and it's just from, yeah. if you haven't, haven't, I know you've read it, Derek and Alistair, you probably just absorbed it by osmosis anyway. Um, but for those who haven't, it's quite, um, it's, it's quite a uh, robust, defense of advent as historically practiced as a period of waiting for the return of christ and the second coming and quite a sort of advent should win out over the christmas preparation so it's advent versus christmas kind of theme to quite a lot of it it's like stop getting sucked into the twinkly lights this is a season of waiting and longing and hoping and actually lamentation and that sort of thing in anticipation of the return of Jesus, which then, when Jesus is born, comes as the surprising answer to the problem. And I've really enjoyed it, and I think that's really good. The problem is, of course, that when you you try and pre- you you can you try and preach that, there are very few texts in the Bible that both include references to the birth of Jesus and include those very extended reflections or lamentations or whatever on the darkness of the world as it currently is. Um, and there are a handful and I'm sure you guys have got others, but so I think that's what I'm trying to do is thinking I want to have, I'd love to have a text which both has a very strong Advent theme as in we are waiting for Jesus to come and make things right and to bring justice and to, 
overthrow the darkness at the same time as something which explicitly refers to the birth of Jesus in some way. That's, that to me would be like a dream text. And Revelation 12 does that. So Revelation 12 is the story of the, the woman and the dragon and the way that the lamb uh, causes the dragon to be thrown down out of heaven while Jesus is being born. And as a result of the sort of the accuser of the brothers is hurled down. And it's just this beautiful weird take on the Christmas story that doesn't give you any of the normal details and is nothing like you can never dramatize it in a nativity you'd terrify the kids but I think it's just <laughs> got a beautiful sort of you know not just gospel shape but also a very eschatological longing to it I, I, this is the the darkness is as dark as it gets and yet this is what God has done for it by causing Jesus to be born and I just I don't know so that would be my suggestion first off I I love that one I love that text for a lot of reasons, um, one of which, as you pointed out, it's great for that, but it's also just great for the, um, for me, for my theological interests, it's always been a, a fantastic text for seeing the unity of the cross and the uh, the victory of Jesus. It, it's a victory text. That's the other yeah. thing. It's the defeat of evil. It's the, it's the triumphing over um, the enemies of the people of God. Uh, of God and his and, and, and Christ and his saints and the way the victory comes about through the blood of the cross. And so there's, and the, the, the other thing about that text is just this marvelous telescoping of so much of like the heart of the gospel. It's, it's got kingdom, it's got church, it's got incarnation, it's got cross, it's got tri triumphant, uh, victory and and even uh, you know resurrection and, and ascension authority in there, um, and so that's just the I think the challenge with that text for preaching Advent is um, narrowing it down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's huge, it's huge and sweeping and weird and also I mean we I just it's funny it's the kind of it depends on your church but in our kind of church if you read that kind of passage at any time of year you're going to get a kind of what the what on earth is going on here sort yeah. of response and that's probably true in many yeah. congregations but if you read it at this time of year when in our cult, kind of church culture it's very much oh, we yeah. don't we don't really do advent as preparation in the sense that you know fleming rutledge just talks about it and some of you know you may well be more you know, imagine alistair would be an anglican background but in our context it's a three weeks of getting ready for christmas sort of deal so if you were to stop reading revelation 12 there would be a lot of intakes of breath and what on earth is happening someone's mugged the preacher um, <laughs> but i i just think for in sort of to give us a new perspective on the sort of cosmic war that's going on in the incarnation i just think would be it would be fantastic and um as it happens we're going to I've preached it in another context anyway, and it's something we're going to cover next year on our series on Revelation. But I just love it. Love the idea of doing it at Christmas. I think it'd be really fun. Alistair, what did you, what, what did you have? I would probably go with um, the beginning of Mark 1, largely because there are, there are a number of voices of the prophets that really come to the foreground there. And in the voice of John the Baptist, who is the last, as it were, prophetic forerunner of Christ, Mm. And the anticipation is that of the beginning of Christ's ministry, but it's appropriate for thinking about Christ coming more generally. It brings the themes of Christ coming to his, or the Lord coming to his temple, the messenger that prepares the way for him. The whole concept of preparing the way of the Lord is a very powerful and pregnant one. And I think... I love the, I love the word pregnant there, Alistair. That's a great, great call. <laughs> just the situation of it. At the Jordan, just preparing for the coming of this one, who's not yet been 
um, revealed to Israel. He's not yet been baptized. And you have this strange, weird figure of John the Baptist, who's reminiscent of many Old Testament characters, of Elijah, of Ishmael, of a number of other figures who anticipate um, this one who's going to come and bring in a new age. He's the desert prophet waiting for the land prophet to succeed him. And that sense of expectation at the very beginning of the book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the book begins with, I think it's a very powerful entrance into Advent season. And I often find that this is perhaps the text that most resonates with me at this time of year. Although there are so many contenders, it's hard to choose. It's insanely hard to choose. I've been, um, yeah, that, that, that text is powerful. I think also the way that it draws out there, there's, cause I, I, I was just reading a book on, uh, Jesus, the priest. And I believe, uh, Perrin brings out that the connection, not just with the prophets, but with Psalm Psalms in there and the, the, um, the one who is coming as as uh, as the as the Messiah as the as the you know the one who's going to uh, with his with his power and his might um, you know crush crush the rebellious nations who uh, rage against his rule and authority and that that theme and I, I may be cr- I may be transposing passages there for a second but um, on that note I think for me the coming reign and the coming day of the Lord and the coming judgment uh, as Advent themes that um, need declaring, you know, the victory, the victory over evil is big, as Andrew brings out. And, and you know, you're talking about all these pregnant themes, but just the direct assertion of the one who's coming is king. And the one who's coming is coming to reassort, reassert authority. It's an authority he's always had and always held and, and has been um, kind of just in, been in the offing. Um, the, the two that have been coming to mind right now is one uh, I already mentioned before. The show is a, uh, the Magnificat, of course, and that one's kind of, a, that was kind of an obvious gimme Advent text. Uh, Mary's song of jubilation is just one of the most aggressive and just marvelously um i I don't even know the word majestic um uh, i'm trying to think martial it's it's a martial song and the way she sings about the spirit rejoicing um in casting down you know casting down the great ones performing mighty deeds uh, lifting, filling the hungry, um, doing all of these things. And, and so that, that one comes to mind as just a, and obviously it's in the context of Jesus' birth, uh, in the waiting for his birth and the, the waiting that fulfills the longing of, uh, Elizabeth, the longing of Israel as a whole, the, you know, the woman, and like you said, it's, it's a very pregnant text about pregnancy. Um, so, so the Magnificat is, is just up there. The other one that I, I'd be really tempted to pull off again uh, in the in that theme, I'm, I'm I'm just pulling out too because you know you guys got good ones. Uh, is actually is actually something out of Daniel. I I know this is weird. It's not really an Advent text, but I would like to preach it in Advent. 
uh, is just Daniel 7. Uh, the, the one like the Son of Man appearing and coming uh, to the throne of heaven. I, that's more of a more of an ascension, more of a of a maybe an Easter and and uh, and a cross text, but that's still about the Advent hope, the waiting of the, and the coming and the, and the judgment of the nations before the throne of the Holy One, the Ancient of Days, and His servant. Um, and so that one would be really kind of a, I think that would be a mind-blowing one around Advent season um, to see who it is. In a sense, this is a, this is a picture of who it is that is being incarnate at this time that we are waiting for. Uh, is don't, don't miss it. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the shining one, one like a son of man, uh, blazing in glory that is going, that we're waiting to come. And then that sets up in a sense, the, the, the radical beauty and mystery and shock and paradox of the child in the manger in, 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 in the few weeks, but with, with the anticipation of what he's coming to do, he's coming to be the, the one like a son of man who is the judge of the nations. And so that is kind of where those are the two that I would kind of play around with, with thinking about um, preaching around Advent season. There's not the one I have in a week and a half, but, but those are what I would maybe pick for myself. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what you guys make of my weirdo choices for that well, or I, how I you bring them in. I think thing. it's interesting that two of the three of us have got, well, that's four options, I suppose, because you fudged it and went, I, yeah. I picked two. But two of I those did. four. I spoke um, for Matt. <laughs> yeah, he would have said something weird like Daniel 7. Um, but two of those four are obviously very explicitly apocalyptic text, very, you know, sort of lurid, dramatic imagery, beasts, dragons, and the like. And I'm just curious in that how much even the conversation we're having now and the way in which uh, that sort of the darkness of this present order being emphasized in the way we would ideally want to preach on something in Advent reflects a kind of self-conscious reaction back against the tweeness and comfiness of Christmas in particular of all the church seasons in a Western country. Um, and obviously the Magnificat's got a lot of that in it as well, hasn't it? There's, there's not very much that's more anti the spirit of the age at Christmas than he has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. Like that, that's, it almost sounds like it's an inversion of father Christmas and, you know, shopping and all that sort of thing. And so I just, um, and there may be elements of that in the one Alistair chose as well. And I, I can't, can't think of any at the moment but i just wonder how how far like how contextual is that series of choices given a desire to sort of slightly nose tweak the uh very capitalist way of doing it in our kind of culture and i wonder whether or not we would choose completely different texts if we were in different sorts of societies or generations i guess there's no way to know that but that were you aware of are you aware of that derek even as you're thinking what would i want to preach are you thinking let's make let's have something that completely cuts against the grain of the way that our culture processes christmas um or is well, that do you think that's an incidental thing i i think it's i mean it's partially yeah i have the i have the fleming rutledge you know earwig ear worm in my in my head as well just sounding the refrain that refrain that advent is about you know the first and the second comings and what, I mean, what are the what are the comings about they're about judgment uh the, there's the anticipation is about the coming judgment of the lord and, and and a reckoning and an accounting of these things and there is this and i, I think i think she's right i i, I do th i, I 
I enjoy my eggnog and I, I like all of the normal Christmas things. And I think, um, going in for that is good. I, I think there's actually, there's something appropriate. It's probably another podcast. There's something appropriate of the merging, the blending of the seasons into one another to some degree. Um, but the, the, I don't know if this is just me being really Calvinist, but the facing people with the coming judgment of God in a way that is not, um, kind of cliche hellfire and brimstone, but at the same time is very real. We don't have an impending sense that, uh, what we do in our day to day, uh, what we do when we go to work, when we make our purchases, when we, even when we go to church, I mean, how often do you get the sense, uh, oftentimes that when you're sitting in the pews that again, you have to do with the almighty God on the throne and that will be held to account and that he's coming to hold the world to account. And the one who's coming is, you know, surrounded by cherubim and seraphim, flaming, you know, flaming beasts, flaming uh, spiritual beings. And if we saw, we'd, we'd wet ourselves and they're covering their eyes uh, from, from him and all of his glory, the day of the Lord. I mean, Zephaniah, Zephaniah one, I was, I was, I was reading that. And then the, the coming, the day of the Lord is just this gnarly, uh, day in, 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 in the old Testament, you know, you've got, where is it here on that day declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing, wailing from the new quarter and loud crash from the Hills before that, you know, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the King's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes on that day. I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. And, uh, you know, he talks about this feast that he's prepared. It's his sacrifice. And it's this really grisly imagery that should set our hair on end. And I'm not saying we have to go to Zephaniah, but there is a sense in which uh, something should be bone chilling. You know, oh, holy night. Holiness in the Old Testament, holiness in scripture is not all oh, holy. It's oh, holy. Um, I, you know, I, oh, holy, I may be consumed. Oh, holy night, the, the manger may go up in smoke uh, and everything around it because the Holy One of Israel is there. And giving our people a sense of that, I think, I, you know, I don't want to freak people out, but there is a sense in which you should, without that impending sense of God's coming, uh, we live our lives cheaply. We live our lives meanly. We live our lives with uh, just a, a very shrunken horizon. It's a very shrunken horizon. And, and so Christmas becomes right. Yeah. So yeah, I am pushing. I, I do want to push back on that. But just really just sitting with some of these themes. And, and, and maybe it's the, 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 the grad work I'm doing right now on, on holiness. But just Advent is, it should be about confrontation with the living God. Uh, and what he is coming to do. And yes, he's coming to save. And so there's the, there's the, there's the good news aspect of it. There's the hope aspect for the oppressed, but reckoning with whether or not you, what side of that you're on and how you're going to meet him. Are you going to meet him on your own strength and your own righteousness? Or are you going to meet him in Christ and his righteousness? That is something that, um, we, I think we need to do, uh, as pastors and preachers, with our people. So, I mean, that's, that's me right now. Um, 
Alistair? I think when you look through the text, these are the themes that confront you. It's not as if we have a lot of twee advent texts, um, maybe one or two that could be spun that way. But for the most part, the text talking about the coming of Christ, whether in his first or in his um, last great coming, or any of the other comings, whether the start of his ministry or um, the coming in judgment on Jerusalem, these are not twee, comfy texts. They're challenging. The presence of the Lord, as Derek's been talking about, is a coming near that is glorious and is characterized by God's great and dreadful holiness. But it's a joyous thing, but it's also a, a solemn and a serious and a, um, a weighty thing. Because as we see in Malachi 3 and elsewhere, this is a purifying fire that's going to purge and that's going to test. And those things that survive and endure are those things which will be gold and silver, but they will be tried and tested. And those things which are not will be destroyed and burnt up. And so that coming near of God and his holiness is such an important theme associated with the day of the Lord, with the coming of Christ in ministry, that he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that baptism with fire is not something that you take lightly. When God, come, when God comes near, unless you're ready for him, um, you're in trouble. There's a need to batten down the hatches, as it were. And so one of the reasons why I find the passage from Mark 1, a very important one, is that it connects the coming of the Lord with getting ready, um, baptism for repentance and the remission of sins. And that theme is such a prominent one within that context that I think sounds a very important note that we tend to miss when we think purely in terms of, oh, look, there's a baby coming and God is um, coming to us in a very pleasant and inoffensive and unthreatening form. But yet um, the biblical themes, I think, draw us beyond that. Andrew, how about yourself? I mean, you asked the question, and I think you, you in a sense, were hinting at it. But um... Yeah, I, I, I find it – in some ways, I thought it would be an interesting hypothetical, just like the different things that people see. And I'm fascinated to what extent there's a – obviously, all of these things that you could, you could preach – you can and should preach all of these things. I'm just – I think I've given a very different answer than I might have given three years ago, more than I would have, I think. I think I've become much more interested in the shape of the – yeah, I mean, in my kind of church, it's you know non-denominational evangelical charismatic church. The church calendar isn't really a thing at all, and and even to I get a lot of you know not grief, but certainly you know pointed banter at times for even doing things like taking Lent off social media or something like a, a very very minor observance of something that isn't Christmas or Easter looks a little bit like are you going over to the dark side now or whatever. So Advent isn't really a category at all, and and I found it a, it's a paradoxical period because. In some ways, it's the most church calendary bit of the year because everybody gets ready for Christmas. But in some ways, it's a deliberate, you know, it's a, actually not even deliberate. Sometimes it's just a, a, an unwitting renunciation of the church calendar because there's no Advent theme in it at all. And the idea of preferring, you know, getting ready for the return of Christ is not really part of the church culture I'm from. And I, so I, in some ways, I find it quite interesting what people see, you know, is there a slightly Rorschachy, you know, dynamic to 
choosing when you open-ended question like what would you pick you know what are we what are we seeing when we look into scripture to find something for advent and i think i'm reflecting that in my own life that to some degree i've just moved quite a long way in the last few years as to what i think this time of year is really for um and i think i'm probably coming very late to the liturgical party on understanding something about the the sense i seeing i guess the value of a calendar in in the church that walks you through the story and that deliberately focuses your attention on particular aspects of the story you might otherwise neglect one of which is the long period of anticipating jesus's return and that's not something i would have been mindful of in my I mean, i'm sure sure if you went on the church and no one will but if you went on the church website for my church three years ago and looked up what i preached on it wouldn't have been anywhere near revelation 12 i, I just you know wouldn't have touched it so i just find that quite interesting i suppose so i'm coming as a relative novice i suppose to these kinds these kinds of themes at least at this time of year and wondering to what extent there are overlaps or distinctions between the th kinds of things the three of us would do um and i guess I d i'm just seeing more of the richness of the coming of jesus by doing it i, I genuinely are I genuinely am i think i am much more aware of the beauty of what the in, uh, christmas was always the 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 saccharine bit of the church calendar and i loved good friday and i loved easter and christmas to me had just been was swallowed up in commerce and i couldn't see the gospel in it except you know midway through heart the herald angels sing i'd just go that's fantastic theology but a lot of it was just lost in sentimentality <laughs> between us and rapping and so when i i kind of feel like relatively of late i've gone oh now i can see that this is the answer to a different question than the one I thought. The ad, I used the advent calendar in my talk last Sunday. And we're just saying the problem with the advent calendar is as soon as you open the first door, you know what all the other 24 are going to be. And, you know, you and then I set them up for a fall. So I put up a big image of a car, star and then a candle and then a wise man or something. And then on tw the 24th, put a massive tiger head in it and just shouted and went, a raven tiger, as if to give everyone a fright. And then went, well, in some ways, that's what Advent's supposed to do. But in reverse, you, you build yourself up for a dramatic fanfare of trumpets and Lion of Judah coming back. And then you see a, a crying child in a manger. And that sense of, oh, this is not the ending we were led to expect being recaptured is something I found really edifying. So I guess I, that's why I was asking the question, like, how do you guys do it? And have you experienced that sort of thing helping you and deepening your understanding of the incarnation as well as of the period of Advent? You mentioned the importance of the question about how do we re read scripture? What particular scriptural passages jump out to us at Advent time? I think one of the practices of the church calendar that really does help is this connection of the calendar with scripture, because the calendar is a a window into the text because it clumps certain texts together. It's a way of organizing texts. Now we tend to approach the Bible as something that's ordered by its binding in a particular sequential order. But one of the things that Advent and other seasons do is bind certain texts together and bring them shoulder to shoulder texts from the Old Testament, texts from the New, and enable us to read texts that are very familiar in a new way. And that is one of the ways in which I think the church calendar can help us to enter into the anticipation of Israel, the anticipation of the church as we look forward to the second coming, the anticipation that we hear in the prophets and John the Baptist, in Mary, in all these different figures, and then in the um, saints in Revelation. That way of reading scripture, I think, is one that I never truly entered into until 
I started to think in terms of the church calendar. It's one of the ways in which I think you do in practice here the echoes, the um, connections between texts, the way that texts don't just stand alone, but we see these recurring themes swelling and developing. It's one of the ways in which I, th I think it has really encouraged me to read my Bible in, in a new way, simply having the experience of sitting through these texts being read and hearing them and realizing that they open each other up. Yeah, one, one, of the, one of the interesting things for me is just theologically the way, I mean, yes, the texts, and I'll get to that, but the way theologically running um, the first and second coming right into uh, the Incarnation in that in that sense um it's again the the it again confronts me with the with the presence of god in new ways connecting the the, the two different ways that i've i i growing up you know growing up i think okay second coming god's coming again judgment yada yada but then there's the incarnation presence and uh emotionally and theologically they're they're just in completely they've been in two completely different registers uh, so the shock of it oftentimes doesn't register. Uh, and I remember when I was first thinking theologically about Christmas and thinking about the incarnation and you get the tabernacle themes, John one, uh, where, uh, you know, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And, and, you know, I've seen that as an Advent text, which is great. Uh, but it's more of a Christmas Advent text, the mystery of God among us. But then when you start running it, running it into Advent, um, and then that kind of that kind of brings to mind actual tabernacle texts in, say, Leviticus, where the coming of God into the camp, uh, the glory, the Shekinah descending upon the tabernacle, was this terrifying, flaming event uh, that you know takes seven or eight chapters of instructions at the beginning of Leviticus to figure out how to begin to become consecrated enough to approach. Uh, and then once you do approach, um, you know, Nadab and Abihu get smoked really quickly. Uh, and then it, it kicks off the whole sacrificial system. And, and, uh, and you begin to realize again what an insane shock the incarnation is that God comes near in a way that um, we can come near in his presence safely, but not. You know, like you realize you're, you're, when Jesus walks up, it's it's the flame of Yahweh walking up to you and you not being consumed. Uh, th that that is uh, is a, and it's the flame of Yahweh being held in a manger. That is a wild that is a wild thing that in a sense I I had not connected in the same way until I start running up what the day of the Lord in the Old Testament and then the shock of the of the, of the first day of the Lord. In the incarnation, and then the, you know, the question of the second day of the Lord, the second coming is is you know what you do with the first one determines how the second one is, and so I mean I, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but the, the the running of those two, in a sense, theological moments in 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 redemptive history, um, it does shift the way I read the scriptures, but it, it shifts um, the my sense of the mystery, my sense of the, of the pop, the explosion of these events and, and, uh, my, my awe, my wonder at, um, Oh, Holy night, you know, God, God coming near. And so, 
uh, and being able in love doing that in, in humility and condescension. And so it just, it, it shame, it, it definitely changes these things for me. Uh, and I want my people, I want our people to, to feel that, to feel that shock. Um, so yeah. Perhaps one of the things I most appreciate about the season of abs- Advent is that fact that you're not just talking about anticipation, you're entering into it. And the, the story that you've read about in, on other occasions is something that is becoming part of your life for those weeks in preparation for Christmas. It isn't just a, a doctrine of patience or a doctrine of waiting for the second coming. There is an experience of waiting, of anticipation, if it's done properly. And that is something I've not seen to the same extent in churches that don't take the church calendar in some form or other as a basis for, as a pattern for their practice. It's really been a blessing for me entering into that experience of waiting and anticipation of having these texts read out and hearing and feeling something of what it means to when you sing the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and these sorts of words, they have a power when you've been reading these texts and seeping yourself in them for a few weeks. And then when Christmas comes, it suddenly makes sense and it hits with a force that it would not have had you not prepared yourself for it. And then also you you just have an experience that's so different from the commercialized experience that most of your neighbors are having that it just, the whole experience of Christmas is changed by this. I find. I mean, it's, it suffuses, it suffuses even, even the, you know, the ha- I, I'm, I'm going to watch Charlie Brown Christmas and I'm going to do a lot of the normal Christmas themes, but the, um, when your church is practicing Advent, to a degree, um, it suffuses all that with the now and not yet of it, right? Even, 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 even when, even when the world around you, you, you feel the, you feel the overlap to a, de- to a degree, uh, for, for that whole time. And so, yeah, that experientially, the dissonance from Sunday to Monday is, is good. It's good. It's really, it's a sign of the dissonance we should always be feeling to a degree, the way we're in the world and, and, you know, going about our business the way the world does, but but not uh, because yeah. we know there's one coming. Uh, and so, yeah, that's 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 very beneficial. And yeah, this you're right, Alistair. This season does highlight it in a unique way. It does highlight it in a unique way. Um, so I'm already going to. I've already named mine, which is O Come O Come and Emmanuel. But what are your favorite Advent hymns? I so oh, man. I th- that's you know th- yeah, that's sure. uh that, you you got a big advantage there because of the kind of songs um, songs that would be sung in your church. I and this is very come very late to this, but the I was just reading and marveling at the words to "Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending" the other day, and just blown away really by the the sort of the anticipation of Jesus coming back. I mean, I basically, Oh Come, Oh Come, Emmanuel is the one that I would often use if I was just singing around on my own, partly because it's very memorable and very easy to sing and know the Lord, know the words. But Lo, He Clouds would come to se- comes descending. Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending was just so, um, so it just had such an impact on me as I was reading it recently. So I think at the moment, 
I would love to sing that. But the thing is, as I've, as I've said, in the kind of church I'm in, Advent songs are not something we really do. So this is something I'm always doing, borrowing it from traditions like yours. <laughs> so in that sense, it's like, it's the equivalent of me saying to you, like, what's your favourite, I don't know, like Hillsong song or something? It's probably not so likely to be used in Adlester's church. Um, but I just think it, it's, it is, I know he comes and oh, come and come Emmanuel are just fantastic. And there's so much depth and beauty to them. I will say, curse you, Alistair, for going first. Um, my instinct is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Obviously, uh, I, I mean, I've had moments with that, just Advent seasons these last few years where I've had health issues and I've felt the O Come, O Come uh, welling up in me. I, I will say that the, the, the Advent hymn that grabbed me this season so far as we've sung it is just uh, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And, um, that first, that first uh, stanza, let all mortal flesh keep silence with fear and trembling stand, ponder nothing earthly minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. Uh, and then it just keeps going on in the body and the blood, and so on and so forth. But that, that theme, that text, um, yeah, just uh, chills in the bones in a good way in a good way and it's beautiful and it's and it's true this is what this is what it's about and so um little mortal flesh keep silence is uh it's it's maybe the most metal of the uh of the uh advent hymns that we've been singing lately and so that one's been getting me this year yeah and that seems with to be that, a fitting note is that a fitting note on which to suspend all mortal speech yeah, so with that, we, we probably do have to wrap it up for this, uh, for this episode, but it's, it's been a great conversation, guys. Uh, if you've been listening at home, want to say thanks for listening uh, again to our, any new listeners, our regular listeners. If you've enjoyed uh, what you've heard, feel free to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or uh, SoundCloud or just check out past episodes at mereorthodoxy.com. If you want to continue uh, helping this uh, show, kind of keep the lights on, we have a Patreon account up at our at MuralOrthodoxy.com as well. Uh, but for now, though, we hope that this Advent season and and Christmas tide to come is is a blessed one. But for now, this has been Mere Fidelity. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>